Welcome. Along with me. Oh, gnarly! Oh my God, I shot my eye out. These guys are eleven. Hello and welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And tonight we're talking about Dune, which is the most fun you can have with a whole lot of spice and a worm that won't have you waking up in a Tijuana alley with no pants and four days of bad diarrhea. And a pocket full of Tic Tacs. (laughs) And Karen Carpenter. And a ham sandwich. Reminds me of high school all over again. Yes, this week we are talking about Dune 1984 versus Dune 2021. And we're back, by the way. I think if they're listening, they probably know. Yeah. All right. Good point. Considering there was no break in the shows because we had stuff posting. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for a couple of months, these guys sounded like shit. <laughs> no, those were year one shows. All well, right. That was our starting bong. Yes. Was, Sorry about like, that. <laughs> if you like random smacking a guitar noises, you might find them on <laughs> Geek Life Radio, uh, where you can also hear the history of bad ideas, the anime trap house, HTML, all the things, and of course, Geek Life's own Rad Dad Radio, the Smorgasbord. Ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang, walla, walla, bing, bang. Ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang, walla, walla, bing, bang. Doesn't have the soul of Karen Carpenter's yeah, I cover. I prefer the Karen Carpenter version. Yeah, I kind of have to agree, actually. Legit. That's that's not it, no. Just FYI. I wasn't even going to ask, because you're right. After Karen Carpenter did it, it was ruined for everybody else. Ruined. 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 It's ruined. So, uh, back. I don't, I just, <laughs> like, this is where you step in and say something. I know this is where I'm supposed to step in, but it's like, it's all derailed already. Where does it go? Yeah. If I you'd like to get in touch with us, you can give us a call. 708 now rep. That's 708-669-9727. You can, uh, join the disc conversation on discord by clicking the join us link that we have in the show notes and, uh, click and call us on Facebook too. Uh, we actually have listener feedback. We do. We do in written word. Oh, good. What? Guy sure as shit did not check the voicemail over the last month. <laughs> no. Due diligence. So, uh, yeah, a Luther, who is a uh, listener, comes on and says, Hello, short time listener and first time emailer Cheeto here. I started listening in September because I heard the guys from Hobie talking about being on your show for September. I've been listening to those guys for years and had the pleasure of meeting them at the Cincinnati Comic Con. As recently turned 44 years old, your show title caught my attention and wanted to say that I really enjoy the topics and content of your show. While keeping current, I also listen to past episodes. Great stuff, guys, and thank you. Cheeto. Thank you, Cheeto. Which I think right now on Twitter, you may be one of the choices for the best Canadian. I mean, that was really nice. Yeah. I still want to be a better Canadian, but... Completely. I'm having a hard time coming up with it. What did anything to insult this guy for? So I know he was nice. Thank you, Cheeto. Yeah. We appreciate You're making that. Making me feel weird about being nice. How about that? Yeah, that normal people call that feeling good, Pat. What? What? Yeah, well, uh, feeling good about yourself. Someday that'll happen. I've never heard about this. It doesn't. Yeah, exist. thank you. Yeah, thank you, guy. Cheeto. <laughs> Cheeto. Gonna, yeah. No, no, I was gonna be mean again, but I just couldn't. I was like, no, I can't do it. He's, he's nice. Yeah. Aww. See. When people are nice, you don't know what to do. Right? I don't know how to react. Somebody call and insult me quick. You're a dick. Not them. Or not You're not ugly. Them. Your mama dresses you funny. <laughs> not you guys. I'm used to that. Oh. oh. 
So I, I think it may be about that time. Good Lord, it's past that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. And sports. <laughs> I was all warmed up and then I messed it up because, uh, damn it, sports. Thinking of Karen Carpenter eating Tic Tacs again. I know. Got no, hot it. under the collar. Shanked it. So uh, this week we are going with December 3rd, 1984, the release of Dune. Sports. Nope. It's not Jesus. happening. Not happening. What happened over your break? Joel went through puberty, apparently. Sports. <laughs> All right. Anyway. So um, music. The top song in the nation was Like a Virgin by Madonna, which what a song. What a song. What a performer. Like I love Madonna. Not my favorite album of hers, but a close second. What's your first? Her self-titled first album. Oh, really? Borderline and Lucky Star and all that, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Love that album. If I had to choose, that would be my number one for her. I'm a partial Like a Prayer. Like a Prayer is solid as well. Like a Prayer, express yourself, cherish. Hmm. I hate to say I could probably not name a Madonna album, much less have a favorite. Like a Virgin? You you just did, kind of. Well, I, my, to me, that's a song. Been... Might oh. be the soundtrack to Shanghai, the prize. Good Lord. <laughs> I mean, obviously, that goes without saying. Not Desperately Seeking Susan? You're not going to You're gonna go with Shanghai Surprise? Oh, that's too obvious. Right now, somewhere, Sean Penn is crying. <laughs> and not just from this. That's, yeah, that's independent of us. Right. <laughs> he just wants a Tic Tac. All right, moving on. Oh, look at this. The, the bullet point starts with the acronym of the week, which is DTKIC. I'm pretty sure that stands for Danny Trejo's kink is caca. Ew. <laughs> We're staying on theme tonight. We're staying uh, on theme. Ew. No, that's Sean Penn, not Danny Trejo. Sorry. Wait, Sean Penn is in the, he's in like copper phasia? What? What's yeah. That yeah, we'll talk later. All right. So no, I'm sorry. That is, do they know it's Christmas? It's way off on that one. Yeah. Nothing about Danny Trejo at all. Which, incidentally, is a single written by Bob Geldof and Midger and sang by an all-star cast under the name Band-Aid, which was released in the UK on December 3rd. Yeah, and if you go back to uh, last year, about this time, uh, you'll hear me rant about that fucking song. God, I hate this song. <laughs> Do they know it's Christmas time at all? Kind of tone deaf, huh? I don't dig it either, personally. I mean, I like the underlying, you know, message of it is better you than me. Yeah, that's what they were going for. <laughs> Do they even know it's Christmas time? Gosh. All right. Finally, on December 8th, Motley Crue member Vince Neal was involved in a serious drunk driving car accident, resulting in the death of Razzle of Hanoi Rocks, which was a sad day for hair bands everywhere. If you are familiar with Hanoi Rocks. This isn't the accident that kickstart my heart came from, is it? No, no, Kickstart My Heart was Nikki Six uh, OD'd. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and they actually had to like restart his heart in the ambulance. Yes. This. Okay. I, this I could have different. sworn it was an accident involving drugs. I mean, this probably did too, but. He, he was just like completely blitzed and they went out and got in an accident. And unfortunately, Vince walked away and Razzle did not. Uh, which, it, if you if you ever get a chance to see the movie the about uh, Motley Crue, it's pretty the good. Dirt. Yeah, and yeah. They, 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 this is part of the movie. It's, you know, brief little snippet, but it does happen in the film. Hmm. All right. 
Moving on to movies, the number one movie in the land was Beverly Hills Cop, directed by Martin Brest and starring Eddie Murphy and Judge Reinhold, which premiered in L.A. on December 1st. It went on to become the sixth highest grossing film of all time in the United States at that time, the highest grossing comedy film of all time at the time, as well as the highest grossing R-rated film of all time, a record it held on to for 19 years. Wow. Yeah, it was a... for. It was, it was a what? monster. It was a it was a juggernaut when it opened. Put a banana in a tailpipe. That's what happens. Well, it helped that it was well written and funny. Yep. Well, yeah. And talk about yeah. movies with diminishing returns. Oh boy, the third one was. Ouch. I mean, this this was Eddie Murphy straight off of Saturday Night Live, and it was his first big feature film, and everybody was eager to see what he was doing, and it was a an excellent movie. So they went back to see it several times, and the word of mouth was amazing, and it became a cultural phenomenon. Wait, Made. was this before Trading Places? Yeah. Huh, I could have sworn Beverly Hills Cup was right after. It might be, it might have been after this. This is the first one that he soloed. You know that he was the lead, like because I mean okay. Dan Aykroyd and him shared the, the lead in in Trading Places. That's fair because I knew that was his first big movie because I just watched the movies that made us about the difference in uh, how he was on Trading Places versus Coming to America. Yeah, uh, Beverly Hills Cop was eighty four and Trading Places was eighty three. So yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, I just watched all three of these movies like. I don't know, four months ago. And I yeah, I don't think I'd ever seen the third one. And the second one's not bad, but it's it's a rehash of the same formula. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, by the third one, it's like, okay, enough. They're in space and Reinhold's <laughs> just sort of floating around. And... Well, part four is coming, supposedly. They're working on it. So we'll see. Maybe it'll be a return to form. But yeah. All right. Also released this week were Bad Manners, City Heat, and The Initiation. I yep. recognize one City Heat. Is that what the one with Joe Piscopo? Oh, that's, you your ladies. That's what I was picturing in my head for the poster. Mike was the one with Joe Piscopo, but I don't know if I'm just imagining it and it's a different movie. But I didn't look any of them up. But yeah, that sounds right. I'm looking it up now because I'm curious. Well, oh. City Heat, 1984, starring one uh, Clint Eastwood and one Burt Reynolds. Oh, I was totally off. Yeah. Directed by Dick Joe Benjamin. Piscopo got third billing. Wow. <laughs> uh, Joe Piscopo's not even in it. But <laughs> Madeline Kahn, Rip Torn, and Irene Karras. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, probably at that time. Bad Manners. I think that was a horror movie, maybe? Not, not bad. Well, Bad Bad Manners was one that was done by, um, what's oh, the name no. that did Lord, Lord of the Rings? Peter Jackson. Bad, yeah. No, you're thinking of Bad Taste. Bad Manners is Robert oh. Houston. Four teens on the run from an orphanage spring a fellow orphan recently adopted by a rich family, then trash the whole house. That is the premise. That's what was I thinking of? You were thinking of bad You're, taste. Bad, bad taste. taste. Uh, okay. I like the crunchy bits. That's bad taste. Oh, okay. All right, so TV. The top shows in the land were Dynasty, Dallas, The Cosby Show, and 60 Minutes. What is this, 1984? Yeah, right. Also on December 8th, Ringo Starr hosted Saturday Night Live with musical host Herbie Hancock, <laughs> which makes total sense. That's how you sign your name. It's, it's Herbie, Herbie Hancock, Hancock. <laughs> um, which completely makes sense with uh, Beverly Hills Cop being ah, number one. And also this year, the final episode of Captain Kangaroo aired on December 7th. This ended a 29-year run that made it the longest-running nationally broadcast children's television program of its day. I never really watched Captain Kangaroo, though. I 
Yeah, I I, I felt did. like it ran longer. Yeah, I could, you say? for some reason I was maybe the exact right age to be really into Captain Kangaroo. So you were a fan then? As a little kid, absolutely. Right. Hmm. I I don't know why though. I felt like it ran longer than that, but I, I man, yeah, I don't I don't I don't recall. I mean. Maybe it's just that difference in age between you and me, Josh, that I just never watched. I mean, a romper room, I watched that a little while, but that whole, like, when she looked through the ring was like, and I see Tommy, and I see Billy, and I'm like, I'm in my pajamas. Why are you looking at me? It's me, Billy. <laughs> I was on romper room. We talked about that, though. Yeah, but that was, like, two years ago. <laughs> he was the only one. Joel just I see... romping. <laughs> I see Joel. <laughs> and Joel... Little bit of Joel in my life. Little bit of Joel. Oh my life. God! I'm moving on to sports. And you start. You see. You hear right, White Rabbit start playing in the background. <laughs> dun, on dun, December first, the fiftieth Heisman dun. Trophy was awarded to Doug Flutie, quarterback from Boston College. <laughs> what instrument do you play? I play the Doug Flutie. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know why that struck me as funny. <laughs> Where do you put your lips? <laughs> and lastly, on December second, kind of bassy. Dan Marino broke the NFL single season touchdown passing record when he threw his thirty seventh in the Dolphins' forty five to thirty four loss to the Raiders. He finished the season with forty eight touchdown passes, a record that stood until two thousand and thirteen. Wow, that's a that's and, a long run for a record. Yep. Yeah, no kidding. That like Captain Kangaroo. Well, I mean, if you if you look at the math, the the old record was thirty six, and he broke it by twelve. Wow! So, yeah, he shattered it, so it wasn't touched for a long time. Kind of like, never mind. Uh, shut up. Play us off, keyboard, Joel. Na 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 na. So, Dune, nineteen eighty four. It's a American epic science fiction film written and directed by David Lynch, based off the sixty uh, five Frank Herbert novel of the same name. Had uh, Kyle McLaughlin in his film debut as Paul Atreides. This was filmed at the Churubusco Studios in Mexico City and had the soundtrack done by the rock band Toto, along with Brian Eno for some other stuff. It's set in the distant, distant, distant future, and the film chronicles the conflict between two noble families as they battle for control of the desert planet Arrakis, or otherwise known as Dune. It's the only place where the universe can get the drug Spice, which allows people to tra travel interstellarly and uh, also gives you second sight and lets you live a, n a normally long lifespans. And it'll season your food nicely. Yes. And it's good on pasta. Mm. Uh, Paul Atreides is the scion and of an heir of a powerful noble family whose control over Arrakis brings him into conflict with the House Harkonnen, which is their enemies. Paul is also possibly the Quetzat Harach, a messianic figure expected by the Bene Gesserit Sisterhood. The names are just going to get sillier from here on in, folks. Uh, the novel was a initial success. They started to adapt Dune in 71, a process of development followed through the 70s in which uh, Arthur P. Jacobs, Alandrajo Jordowski, and Ridley Scott unsuc unsuccessfully tried to bring their vision to the screen. In 81, Dino De Laurentiis hired David Lynch to direct this. Um, Incidentally, was, oh. if, if you ever want to catch a really cool documentary, the documentary about uh, Alejandro uh, Jodorowsky's 
take on Dune is amazing. It's like two hours long, but it's well worth the watch. Hmm. Just a heads up. I think it's on Netflix. Well, there was and some of the other things that I read was this and Flash Gordon were Dino De Laurentiis' attempt at stepping into sci-fi. With varying degrees of success. Definitely. Uh, it was a bomb. Out of the $40 million budget, it made $30.9 million and had negative reviews from critics for many reasons. Uh, Lynch disowned the final film, stating the pressure from both producers and financiers restrained his artistic control and denied him the final cut privilege, which would have been like the Snyder cut because the original one was almost five hours long. Yeah, and a lot of it was unfinished. Mm -hmm. Just to put that number, the $40 million budget in perspective, that is more expensive than any of the first three Star Wars films. Yeah, it's a huge amount of money for that time. Uh, 74 film rights reverted, and then they were acquired by a French consortium led by Jean-Paul Gibbon, who then wanted Ellen Drejo Jordavosky to direct. Uh, he actually wanted prog rock groups like Pink Floyd and Magma to do the music, Dan O'Bannon for the visual effects, and then uh, get H.R. Geiger and Jean Garaud to do some of the art artwork for it. He also wanted to have Salvador Dali as the emperor. Thing of note, I did not realize that Salvador Dali was still around at that, that point. Yep. Yeah. You know, you think a classic artist, you think dead long time, not alive when I was alive. Uh, but he wanted Salvador Dali as the emperor, Orson Welles as Baron Harkonnen, Mick Jagger as Fade Ralpha, Udo Kier as Peter DeVries, David Carradine as Leto Atreides, and his son, Brontus Dorodowski. So it sounds like something you would get from being out in the cold too long. <laughs> as Paul Atreides and Gloria Swanson, among others. Uh, it was also scrapped for mo many reasons, because, mainly because funding dried up when the project ballooned to a 10 to 14 hour epic. So yeah, this is another one of those movies that many people tried to make. And looking into some of the info on this one, I feel really bad for, um, uh, what's his name, for David Lynch on this one. But the amount of stuff that he um, he tried to do with this and how he got hamstrung by the producers. Well, I mean, knowing David Lynch, it was probably some real far out shit. And they were just like, no. I mean, he probably wanted some fat chicks just floating around in the background somewhere. And they were like, <laughs> I mean, no. He kind of got a lot of that. <laughs> and remember, he turned down Return of the Jedi to do this. Thank oh God. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. That's, that's oh, crazy. yeah. He was offered Jedi, and uh, basically his take on it was that uh, that film was three quarters of the way already ready to go with uh, somebody else's vision, and he didn't believe he'd be able to put his own stamp on it. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like this is a story that is not possible to tell in two and a half hours. Definitely yeah. not. I mean, I watched, I have, was watching some of the uh, documentary stuff about it. And yeah, he wanted at least a three hour cut. And uh, De Laurentiis wanted two hours and they kind of compromised. But uh, yeah, this is definitely more up Lynch's alley than Return of the Jedi would have been. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Yeah, we'll, when, we'll get right back into that. We should probably hit the cast first. Yeah. So the cast on this one, Francesca Annas as Lady Jessica, concubine to Duke Leto and mother to Paul and Aaliyah. Leonardo Semino as the Baron's doctor. Brad Dorff as Peter DeVries, a Harkonnen mentat. Jose Ferrer as Paradash Emperor Shaddam IV. <laughs> I feel like I need a lozenge for these. <laughs> Linda Hunt as the Shadot Mapes, the Fremen housekeeper. 
Freddie Jones as Tufer Hwat as the Atreides Mentops. Richard <laughs> Jordan as Duncan Idaho. That's a weird oh, one, just oh. getting tossed in there. You potato. Was, he was eating a potato at the time. <laughs> Richard Jordan as Duncan Idaho, the Swordmaster. Kyle McLaughlin as Paul Atreides, the protagonist. Virginia Madsen as Princess Irulan, the Emperor's oldest daughter. Uh, Silvana Mang- Mangano as Reverend Mother Romalo, the Fremen woman who predicts Paul's rival. Everett McGill as Stilgar, the leader of the Fremen. Kenneth McMillan as Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Jack Nance as Nefud, captain of the Bar- Harkonnen Guard. Ah, oh, Jack. Sian C- Phillips as Reverend Mother, the Emperor's advisor, and Bene Gesserit Superior. Jurgen Prochnow as Duke Leo Atreides. I, I love this guy. Uh, Jurgen and is a great actor. He really is. I love the next guy. Paul Smith as yep. the Beast Raban, Baron Hakonan's older nephew, Patrick Stewart as Gurney Halleck, a troubadour warrior. <laughs> And talented Balasetan musician and lover of pugs. Can I just say when when we were watching this, uh, I was watching it with Laura, and when Patrick Stewart showed up, she she'd never seen it before. She's like, "Good lord, does he ever age?" Yeah, she's like, "He looks exactly the same now as he did then." Should see him in uh, Life Force, that space vampire flick, right? Or Excalibur. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, Sting as Fade Rotha, Baron Hokonan's younger nephew, Dean Stockwell. Right yeah, that really is. And he was supposed to have a full-on nude scene, but then they were like, yep. maybe you should wear this. He was Sting down was, for it. Yeah, he was like, I'll do it. I'll get naked right now. I'll show you my stinger. Uh, Dean Stockwell as Dr. Wellington Yue as Atreides' physician. Max von Sydow as Dr. Kynes, the planetologist of the Freeman. Alicia Witt as Aaliyah, Paul's younger sister, who very, freaked the living crap out of me. Very, very right. young Alicia Witt. And Sean Young as Shawnee, Paul's lover. Ooh. Get that love scene. They speak to each other twice, and they are in love for life. Well, don't forget, there was a lot of overlay during the combat scenes. Over two years, they spoke to each other multiple times. At least three. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. So, trivia. Writer and director David Lynch has said that he considers this movie the only real failure of his career. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, yeah, cue I, Pat. <laughs> I disagree, buddy. To this day, he refuses to talk about the production in great detail and has refused numerous offers to work on a special edition DVD. Lynch claims revisiting the movie would be too painful an experience to endure. Many fans hope that he will eventually come around. And they just released a a pretty sizable set for this. And outside of archival footage, he's not anywhere to be seen. Hmm. Just saying. Sir Patrick Stewart was, at that time, completely unfamiliar about who Sting was. When meeting, yeah, when meeting him on set, he asked if he was a solo artist, to which Sting replied that he was in a band called The Police. Stewart, totally unaware, thought Sting played in a police band. <laughs> well, it's good that you and the officers are getting some time down to, say, to play together. Wow. <laughs> to which, fantastic. Uh, Virginia Madsen was sick with Montezuma's revenge at the time of filming the fight between Paul and Fade, but she endured the shooting with only the help of a bar stool hidden under her hoop skirt. That's all the information we get on that. Well, there, yeah, like uh, illness because of the shooting location was rampant in the cast, and apparently the set was uh, infested with cockroaches. Yep. Montezuma's revenge, traveler's diarrhea, especially when contracted in Mexico. You didn't huh. know what Montezuma's Revenge was? I knew it was a game. You but... really didn't know what that was? What? I didn't. Dude, it is no fucking game. Yeah. 
I assumed it was some sort of diarrhea based. Yeah, it's thing. like it's like imagine losing your grade school memories kind of diarrhea. It's oh. like Ebola light. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it, it, for a long time, uh, you were told if you traveled down to Mexico, don't drink the water. And I, obviously, even 30 years ago, that wasn't true. If you were in a touristy spot and you were served water, it was fine. You might not want to hit the tap water because your gut flora is not compatible with theirs uh, or, or the microbes found in the water down there that just comes out of the tap. But yeah, it's, it was a big deal, especially mm. in the 80s. Huh. Also, the suits worn by the guild members were actually body bags that were found in a disused fire station dating back to the early 1920s. The bags had actually been used several times, (laughs) which is something that was kept from all the cast members until after they finished shooting. Wow. No wonder people got Montezuma's revenge. That's something, you know. Kind of like how they kept from Joe Beth Williams that those were real skeletons that she was battling in the pool. Yeah. Probably for the best. But yeah, this this movie had a lot of problems. Yes. And that's just putting it lightly. Was this a first viewing for any of us? No. I saw this movie in the theater when it first came out. Really? Yep. My dad was a sci-fi fan, so... I'm guessing your dad read the books. Uh, no, he was more of a movie fan than a, than a reading fan. Oh, probably, for some reason. He probably I... owned the books, honestly, but he probably didn't read them. Oh, for some reason I thought he he, he read some, too. But Joe no, thought was... to himself, I thought he would read more books. He was such a sci-fi fan. I'm How sorry. I, th- I We were talking about, I thought we were going to do Whisper Exposition now. How are you reading my mind? <laughs> oh, are we already doing this? Because, oh, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> can I quietly open the next can of beer without anybody hearing? Only if you have the corpse body bag. It drove me insane how much whisper exposition there was in this movie. <laughs> Do you have yeah, a tic tac? Oh, <laughs> it was one of the shortcuts they used at the beginning to actually stay pretty true to the source. The uh, shortcut they used at the end was just hitting fucking fast forward for <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> and then the revolution happened and we won. And now the movie's over. And here's our Falcor moment. Yeah! <laughs> But, I have to I say, mean, the, I was I was say Virginia say Madsen narration in the beginning was kind of like, ooh, Virginia Madsen. Oh, she's still talking. I didn't realize I had to read up on this. What, like, <laughs> is there going to be a quiz after she stops speaking? Is this, is this a movie or a lecture? In the on? year 10,081-23, June like, the 4th <laughs> at noon. <laughs> it's like the beginning of The Crows Have Eyes 3, that's all. It's just packed full of exposition. Yeah, aside from the, like, internal monologue, people say whispering what they're thinking, it's funny because the story actually still kind of works until you get to about the point where the 2021 film ends. Like, it, it's relatively together. Yeah, they had to do that device in order to, uh, like, move stuff along without, okay, Telling you rather than showing you is just expedient at this point. If we tried to show you all of this complicated shit, the movie would be 15 hours. Mm -hmm. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Which it really, it should have been a miniseries. Let's be honest. A hundred percent. I mean, Lynch's uh, descent into visual metaphor uh, that I know Pat's not a fan of. Uh, notwithstanding, the guy was right when he wanted this to be five hours, because that's about as short a film as you make and actually tell the story. And it but looked let's... like it was okay with, like, okay, we're going to follow the book for the first half, and then we got to end the movie. But seriously, though, I mean, we want to say this totally should have been 
a miniseries. But was standard television ready for David Lynch at this point? I think no. I don't know. I think that with the setup, because a lot of the first half of the movie actually holds up. Aside from, yeah, the exposition and internal, what people are thinking is a little annoying. I was actually thinking it was going to be a whole lot more cringe than it was. Well, and I feel like with the epic scale of this and as big as it was in the sci-fi community, you know, spawning four books and, you know, a, a huge fan base that they would have already seen it and said, you know, hey, let's follow the Star Wars model. Let's do an initial story, see how it goes, and then we'll pump more money into it rather than pumping all the money into it. And I also feel like Lynch, as Josh had mentioned, is visual. That's one of the reasons I love him is that he's 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 all about creating an emotional response to the images on the screen. He's not always the best at putting together or doesn't want to put together a cohesive narrative. So giving him the reins of the script feels like a bad choice. And that's coming from a guy who loves David Lynch, loves David Lynch. Just my two cents. Well, and David Lynch is better like... served for, for things that that don't have a linear story. You're definitely correct about that. I mean, this is this again. I mean, I think this movie would have been improved by not only, you know, making it a miniseries, but giving it a different director. He's just not the right director for something like this. See, I don't know about that. I think if you get someone to rein him in a little, uh, he's brilliant. And you get to a spot where you like, you look at the history of how this film was made. Dino De Laurentiis uh, interfered quite a bit. Yes. Um, he was looking uh, forward to like the video sales. Uh, and he even got into like uh, giving David uh, Lynch notes on the lighting because he's like, you can't have it this dark. It's not going to transfer very well to video. Wow. That had to have been annoying. So, yeah. And he's the producer. So I guess you can't argue with him. But like uh, David Lynch, when uh, the executives get involved, is a big one for malicious compliance. He'll he'll do what you tell him he has to do and as part of his contract, but you might not like what comes out. Yep. Then you wind up with milk and cats. Well, and the other problem was is that uh, I don't think they they knew quite what they wanted it to be because I think Lynch was trying to go with the the source material and make it more adult in its theme. But as you'll see in the image I just uploaded to the chat, they were kind of hoping this was going to be another Star Wars. Or mm -hmm. something like that. So they had fucking action figures and things like that. And I don't think... Does anybody want a giant guy with space herpes to play does anybody with? anybody want a Baron Harkonnen? I mean, that's the first thing Laura said. She's like, "Why does what's on his mouth? Does he have herpes or something? What's going on there? Yeah. It was yeah. weird. Weird choices. But yeah, anyway. Well, I, I agree with you on that. I think after... Uh, Dino Laurentiis did the Flash Gordon thing and that kind of bombed and Star Wars came around and it was kind of like that whole, hey, this is my chance. Every, you know, he knew it was from a founded, you know, Star Wars wasn't, didn't have any books at that point. It was nope. just a story. So there was nothing, he, I guess in De Laurentiis's mind, he was like, here we have fans already built in. Yep. They're going to love this. They're going to bring their kids to this. And this uh, ornithopter looks like the great glass elevator anyway. So we might as well. <laughs> Put that in there. Not realizing instead of picking like a space cowboy, you know, type of story, you picked a political thriller. Yeah. And that's the thing is I, I'm 100% sure De Laurentiis never even 
picked up. I don't care what the story is. Just make me a Star yeah. War. He's like, I just want something set in space. I want space crap. People yeah, love the, space now. Flash Gordon makes more sense with the action figures and everything. Mm-hmm. That was more of a fun kind of. I mean, it, granted, it's still a little adult at times. Kind of thing, yeah. yeah, but and that yeah. had Max von Sydow too. And it's much more of a uh, like a serial, uh, like a like what Lucas wanted with Star Wars. It's more of an afternoon uh, Saturday serial than political drama with space herpes and a lot of gooey, ooey things happening. Yeah, like those suits, which another thing that I read, uh, Patrick Stewart and Max von Sydow had both said that the, the not sweatsuits, the still suits. Still suits. Yeah. yeah, were the most uncomfortable thing they have ever worn. But in the same sentence, in the same breath, Max von Sydow said, but I look amazing in this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it. there is a point in the third act where everything goes cuckoo off the rails. You know, the screaming starts. We have two years of combat and love and romance. It's all packed into a minute and a half of voiceover and, you know, things, and visions montage. of things. Mon- yeah, montage. And then you have the, um, we got Sting and his wing jockstrap running around. And then you have the weirding way with the, my word, my name means death. You know, that whole thing. Well, then why is everybody, why is it everybody bothering to yell anything else? When they're fighting with these things, which honestly, I think of the whole idea of like having this weapon that converts sound into lethal energy is a pretty cool idea, but it looks really goofy, but it's a cool idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, by the way, that I did not care for Kyle McLaughlin at McLaughlin, McLaughlin, however you pronounce it. <laughs> Kyle. McLovin. Kyle, you know. Kyle McLovin. Yeah. He beat yeah. me to it. <laughs> I did not care for him at all. He was 22, and this was his first performance on screen. Period. Yeah, he was very stiff in his and, own, in defense. Yeah, and if you're gonna, if you're gonna, the first movie you're gonna do, and they introduce you to David Lynch, you're like, wonder where this is going. It's probably he probably wasn't stiff. He was probably frightened. Right. Oh, David is hell? such a nice guy and oh, so oh, soft spoken. Yeah, you know, yeah, we're not exactly. talking about that. I'm talking about everything going on. I mean, oh. if this is your first movie at 22, fine. David Lynch, who's okay, he may be a nice guy. He's a little bit of a weirdo, too. You know, gonna gotta count that into the soup. But with all the crap going on with this movie, you know, he, he must have been multiple times going like, this is the beginning and the end of my career. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, most of the cast from uh, interviews I've read uh, during, like, they knew Dino De Laurentiis was constantly on the set fucking with the lights, but they had no idea until they saw it that uh, it was kind of a mess. And you look at Kyle MacLachlan's career, like, he continued to work with David Lynch over and over Mm -hmm. and over again and has gone on record saying that, like, this is the guy who is my favorite director to work with. And you look at the weird-ass script choices he's had even beyond his lynch projects like i don't know i think this set his path and he's had a long enough career that i don't think that that did poorly by him no no i'm not saying he did poorly but i'm saying for a first movie that you're going to be in it definitely uh bent his career weird but that kind of worked out for him Mm -hmm. are we talking about lynch or mclaughlin both. Uh, both, but mostly McLaughlin. Like this okay. being his first film, uh, like I think this set his career and his like idea of how movies are supposed to be made into a very specific direction. And like you look at the rest of his body of work, and my theory, I think, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'd go with that. I mean, he's he went into his next movie and he's like, "Who's going to duct tape the rat to the cat?" <laughs> they don't do that here. 
again. That's not a thing. What? <clears throat> Milk I... and cats. Long before the uh, Fockers came around. <laughs> I love that the action figure comes with the cat in the suitcase. Right. Mm-hmm. That's how it should be. Um, I I can't say this is that this is my favorite Lynch film. Um, I can't say that you know it's anywhere in any top lists of mine. But there's still something about it that I, I still enjoy coming back to periodically. I'd say this might be the fourth time I've seen it. Um, and I've seen it at different stages of my life. I don't know. I think it's just that there are certain images that kind of stick with you, certain scenes. But as a whole, I think yeah, it's 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 a big mess for sure. Unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know. I I remembered this being worse than I felt like it was this last time I rewatched it. Um, I I always remember that the ending is super rushed, but I honestly expected to cringe for the entire two, two and a quarter hours. And Mm -hmm. a lot more of it held up than I expected. I agree with you there, because the first time I had seen this was when it hit like Showtime or HBO back in the mid 80s. And... I, again, remember this moment where I'm sitting there watching it and my mom comes in. What are you watching? I don't know. <laughs> like, I have no idea. Why is that guy floating around? What's on his face? I don't know. Why are you still watching it then? Because I want to see what happens. The worm. can't tear my eyes away. Yeah. And it it, has did, you guys, did you guys catch David Lynch's cameo in the film, by the way? He was one of the worms, wasn't he? <laughs> I thought I Josh might have caught not. it. No, I missed. He, you remember when they were, uh, they went and they were surveying the planet when they first arrived, and they went to visit the the mining uh, ship, and the worm attacked. Uh, The guy dressed as Karen Carpenter. They had to rescue the crew. He was the one that was talking to them on the radio with the dirt all over his face, trying to get. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Just fun little cameo. One nice. of the other things I really noticed, and it's much more noticeable if you're a fan of the book or if you've watched the 2021, is that Duncan Idaho almost could have not been in this film at all. Like, he shows up, he delivers a couple lines about the Fremen, then he just dies, like, in almost a comical way. The one-shot kill. Yeah, which sucks because Duncan is like this master swordsman uh, for fans of the books. Like Duncan Idaho, even though he dies in the first one, he's the only character that appears in all of the Dune books. Mm. They 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 definitely gave him in the the new one. They gave him proper credit for sure. Like he's the guy that he was supposed to be this legendary master swordsman, and like he got to go. Well, we'll get to that. But I, yeah. I just I was so disheartened. Because uh, I reread the book not so long ago. Now, the first time I read it was only 13 years ago. But uh, digging into the Frank Herbert novels, realizing that through cloning and other bullshittery, uh, Duncan Idaho appears in all of the Dune novels. And he's just this massive character. And he's barely even in this at all. And he, he's done so poorly in this that it almost would have been better if they just cut him. I agree. I had to look up who played him in the film because I couldn't even remember. And I was like, oh, man. Yeah. Um, I did like the extremely weird Lynchian take on the Navigators. It's not that far off of, like, we we don't get far enough into the story. Getting ahead of myself again in the 2021 to actually see a Navigator. But, like, as they're described in the book, like, that weird thing in the tank. The vagina with arms? 
I mean, they're described as vaguely fish-like, and I don't know if, like, my headcanon from the books was that they were more like mermen, but, like, definitely aquatic weird beings. It looked like the drawing of a sea monkey. <laughs> and that what weird kind of... scene, you know, well, like a demented sea monkey, I guess. I was going to say, I don't recall seeing a, that on the package. Tick-tock! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Give me some what of these. Was, I want to grow these at home, Mom. What was that weird scene, though, when it was floating around in space and whatever? I don't even... It just looked Oh, that's so when weird. they were trying to explain where it was, like, shooting the stuff out of its mouth. That's... It, na- yeah. that's, it was navigating. Yeah, oh, okay, that's what was going on. They talk about okay. how the Navigator's Guild, basically, instead of going faster than the speed of light, they're saying, that's not a thing you can do in the Dune world. Instead, the psionic beings, the Navigator's Guild... Uh, use the spice to psionically fold space in half so when you unfold it, you're somewhere else. You're on the other side, like if you imagine a piece of paper. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Now, were the navigators once human, or is this another, like, alien race? That's an uh, excellent question. I, I don't I think don't. they were supposed to be human. Yeah, See, I, I, so I was under the impression that they were human, and the overuse of the spice to do this turned them into this. That's uh, yeah, You are correct. I just looked that up. It was definitely they were evolved, huh. uh, artificially super evolved humans huh. through the spice, which made them very fish or shrimp like. That's interesting. I'm glad you asked that question because I didn't know. Wow. Okay. Hmm. It's kind of interesting and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. The spice melange. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I went back and I watched the the South Park episode too. Well, we we have some. Uh... Some vegetable melange in the fridge, and so every time I'm going to eat it now, I'm going to think of the spice melange. <laughs> Is he really going to do that when he eats the vegetable melange? He probably will. He did already. <laughs> Joel refuses to eat anything that doesn't have the word melange in it. He likes a melange Antoine. I'm going right, to stop I think now. we need to go. Uh, yes, please. Yeah, thank I think, you. I think we're done. <laughs> what is happening? I don't know. All right, everybody. When we get back, we're going to talk about the 2021 Dennis Villeneuve. Uh... <laughs> Jesus. Dennis Villeneuve. Villeneuve? Villeneuve? Villeneuve. I, okay, I'm telling you right now, I watched four or five different videos on this thing. I had four or five different friggin' pronunciations of this guy's name. Just call him Penis, because it's spelled D-E-N-I-S. Denis. No, Denis. I'll say Denis. Whatever. We'll be back in a little bit. We're going to talk some more about these movies. All right, we are back, and we're going to talk about Dune 2021. And this one has been titled on screen as Dune Part 1, which is a good sign right out of the gates. Uh, it's an American epic sci-fi film by Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve? Villeneuve. Villeneuve. And also written by him by and John Spates and Eric Roth. This is the first of a two-part adaptation of the novel that we just talked about by Frank Herbert, which is the smartest thing they could have done on this. Uh, still... Follows Paul Atreides, the House Atreides on Arrakis. Um, Dennis said in 2018 that he has stated that his goal was to adapt the novel into two-part film series. He secured a two-movie deal with Warner Brothers in the same style as a two-part adaptation of Stephen King's It. He also stated, I would not agree to make this adaptation of the book with one single movie, as Dune was too complex in power and details that a single film would fail to capture. However, all subsequent dealings 
were to secure the production of the first film and new production deals we need to be made to start production for the second film. But from what I understand, the second film has already been greenlit. Yes, it was greenlit a couple days after this dropped. And I remember watching this and like going, the fucking balls on this guy to make the movie like this without having the second deal already inked. Mm Mm-hmm. I ain't mad at him. Because he got it there. But like, could you imagine the blue balls? Oh, yeah. If they hadn't gotten the second one. Yeah, if they had if they had shut this down that I mean, because they ended this one on a major cliff. Mm -hmm. So so this one is starring Timothy Chamelet as Paul Atreides, Rebecca Ferguson as Lady Jessica, uh, Paul's mother, Oscar Isaac as Duke Leto Atreides, Paul's father, Josh Brolin kicking ass and taking names is gurney halleck the weapons masters of house atreides stellan scar uh, hang on before we go past this uh i don't know if you guys have seen it but there was a deleted scene that i'm so upset didn't make it from josh brolin there there's a shot uh it's only like a 40 second scene of him actually playing his instrument that had to be cut oh the Uh, funk the the funky little yeah, like the guitar type thing. Oh. Uh, and uh, I, I think it would have rounded out that aspect of his character instead of it just being like one throwaway line that he's a warrior bard. Nice. But it's out there. You can find it. It was a finished scene. It just didn't make the theatrical cut. Now, he was actually playing it, playing it. It wasn't a... I don't know. But like it, it, I don't know if Josh Brolin himself was actually playing it, but that was the scene. It was him playing music. Okay. I could see Josh Brolin doing that, though. Like learning how to play this, play something just to match up with the character. Yeah. Yep. Uh, also, Stellan Skarsgård as Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Dave Bautista as Glosso Raban, nephew of Baron Harkonnen. Stephen McKinley Henderson as Tufir Huat, the mentat of House Atreides. Did a great job at that one. Zendaya as Chani, the Freeman woman, with her squinty eyed, over the shoulder look. for Looking for pictures of Spider Man. Somebody must have told her, look, you look really dramatic when you squint your eyes like that. So, uh, David Das Malchan as Peter DeVries, mentor of House Harkonnen. Cheng Chen as Dr. Wellington Ye as the Sook Doctor. Sharon Duncan Brewster as Dr. Liet Kynes, the Imperial Ecologist. Charlotte Rampling as Gaius Helen Mohim as Bene Gesserit and Reverend Mother, who was pretty freaking terrifying. Jason Momoa. As a much better Duncan Idaho, the swordmaster of House Atreides, Javier Bardem is Stilgar, leader of the Freeman. Bob's oof, Osunamokin <laughs> as Jamis, the Freeman from Six Shaber. Benjamin Clementine is Herald of the Change. Oh my the... darling, oh my darling, you've been this whole time, haven't you? Mike is gonna have a stroke. I am about to have a stroke, man. That Bab's. Just about made me lose it. Golda Roosevelt is shut out. Mapes between the character names and these regular names, man. Roger Roger Yon as Lieutenant Landville. Gurren Halleck second in command. And I didn't want to leave anybody out because everybody kind of you kind of need to know Lieutenant Landville. Yeah, there's a lot going on in these movies. Like like uh, Pat said earlier, this is a political intrigue sci-fi. Mm-hmm. You ain't yeah. got no legs, Lieutenant Land. I feel like in a lot of cases, the casting, they took like the archetypes you see from the original and gave the upgraded version, like Batista as the Beast for Bond, um, putting David Dasmalkian in the uh, original role uh, played by Brad Dourif. 
Like, I love Brad Dourif, but, like, if you want this subtly creepy guy, uh, even though he didn't get a ton of screen time, David S. Malkin is, he was perfect. Mm-hmm. Kansas City represent. And then everybody, we were watching, everyone's like, oh, it's Polka Dot Guy. <laughs> and Javier Bardem, like, Javier Bardem, in, in terms of his look, is a chameleon. But as soon as he spoke, I knew who he was. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and the fact that you've got all these people that on their own could lead a movie, could be the lead in a movie, like so many of these people are leading people and they were just like side characters or co-stars. And I think that's what made this character wise so much better than the 84 version is because it seemed like the you had this newfound actor playing Paul and then everybody else was like character actors. Oh, you know, Timothy you didn't. Chalamet is not exactly newfound. No, I'm talking about '84. Oh, okay. I was like, yeah, okay. I'm talking, yeah. I was confused. Um, yeah, not 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 the now the uh, Timmy the 1984 one. You have uh, Peter uh, Atreides being played by this brand new actor, first time he's ever been there, and everybody else has got the they're all play these kind of side characters for their whole careers. And then this one, like Joel just said, these are all front and runners. So you've got heavy hitters for every single character. So there is a gravitas to every character that comes on the screen. It's not just a throwaway type of situation. Sorry, Pat, I stepped on your toes. No, no, I was just going to say real quick while we were talking about the actors, that I'm getting impre- more and more impressed with Rebecca Ferguson and everything yep. I see her in. 100%. She I'm a fan. She's so good. Yeah, I'm becoming a, a quick fan, yeah. Well, and that's the thing is Rebecca Ferguson and Oscar Isaac uh, carry a lot of the weight. And Mike was talking about how this is a very obviously a more political take that's closer to the book. Uh, I think they uh, did a lot of the heavy lifting, making every decision and every moment seem fraught with danger from all sides. Mm-hmm. Like it felt to me like they are playing this game with billions of credits on the line, but they know if they make a single mistake in any move, they're dead. Well, they know, I mean, they did a good job of of, of communicating how uh, dangerous the Harkonnens were. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, like, the one thing they don't... Like, their plans to keep themselves safe are very good. And I think it was much better communicated in this than the original. The whole uh, Sukh Doctor conditioning and being thought of as this is something that is unbreakable. <laughs> like, this guy could not possibly be the traitor because... right. And that's the one thing they never even thought of, and it was their Achilles heel. Now, Stellan Skarsgård, comparing Baron Harkonnen from the 84 version to this one, first off, night and day. The original looks like a, like a, like a circus character compared to... The, the original guy was so over the top that it, 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 it wasn't threatening. It was just odd. It was, I mean... It, it was, Comic, it yeah. was more just more almost more comical than threatening. Right, and this one, Harkonnen is like, like they said, he's straight out of Apocalypse Now. Yeah, for sure. But he's very creepy. Yeah. So trivia. Yes, trivia on this one. Composer Hans Zimmer is a big fan of the novel Dune and turned down working with frequent collaborator Christopher Nolan on Tenet to score this film. For the same reason, Denis Villeneuve was a top choice, but turned down the offer to direct the Bond film No Time to Die, so to do this. I feel they both made the correct choice. Yeah. Agreed. And I've heard some criticism of Hans's uh, work on the score, and Hans Zimmer is one of my favorite modern-day composers, and I, I like the score, but I've heard some I've heard some complaints. I well, mean, there's the always going to be. For complaining in <laughs> porn. Right. Oh, complaint porn. Is that a thing? Probably. Should be. Patrick, get on that. 
Sorry, I came here to complain. Uh, the scenes of the ocean world of Caledon were shot in Stalandet, Norway. Much of the desert scenes in the desert world of Arrakis were shot in Jordan and Abu Dhabi. I'm sorry, Abu Dhabi in the Middle East. So all over the world for this. Caledon was a beautiful take. And it was good to see something other than the desert. <laughs> you know, I mean, because I think one of the things I think it showed for um, House Atreides was how much of a change of life this was going to be for the house. Right. You know, going from this lush, vegetative ocean world to l- literally a giant sandbox. There's you know, no water. So, oh, if you step outside, you know, you will die. Yeah, we should we should close the screens. It's going to be 1130 soon, and then we're all going to burn up. Okay, let's do that. Uh, Dennis Villanueva saw Baron Vladimir Hakonin as a rhino in human form, and so Skarsgård had to spend seven hours a day applying makeup for his role as the Baron. I thought it was going to say that he had to spend seven hours a day studying rhinoceroses to learn their (laughs) mannerisms and movements. He had to spend seven hours a day behind the scenes wearing a giant horn. (laughs) Do I got? Yes. Let's have have it. Please stomp your feet. All right. Also, the young women playing the Baron's servants both have alopecia universalis, which renders them naturally hairless. It's a feature of all the inhabitants of Gede Prime in this adaptation. Similarly, Stephen Collins, who plays the deaf Harkonnen trooper, is himself deaf. That's a nice touch. Yeah. yeah. So that's all I got for the trivia on that one. And it's obviously the first viewing for all of us. And... Not the last for me. Like, I, I'm, I'm just going to kick us off with, like, uh, spoiler alert, I was spellbound through the entire time. Mm-hmm. I have to agree with you on this one. I, I, I don't want to make, I hope it's not a, well, I kind of do at the same time because I want to talk about it with you guys some more off, offline. But I was intrigued at the beginning. And then, I mean, even though it left with a cliffhanger, I was satisfied with the story that was told at the end. Uh, I, I... I didn't know what to expect. I had hopes because I like Villanueva's work. I like people involved. I like the story. Uh, and what I got was way more. I especially like the tech as a sidebar. Like Outside of all the acting and everything else, the tech. Oh, the ornithopters really cool. in this one were super cool. Yeah, it's so cool. The flappy wing mosquitoes. Yeah. yeah the, the, the dragonfly th- copters. Yeah, yeah, those were pretty cool. Uh, everything's just, cool. yeah, it's, is neat the way they put it all together. We're going, we're going to have a, a a second half where we all we kind of, we're going to kind of delve into why wasn't it cool when they did this thing because yeah I even enjoyed <laughs> yeah. this very much. Uh, spoiler alert! Yeah, we've all we all enjoyed this very much. It was it was very very well done. The the set work was amazing. The scenes, the cinematography was gorgeous. The worms were creepy and intimidating as shit. The, the makeup worms. was great. The acting was was phenomenal. I mean, I was very impressed with Chalamet and as a, you know, he was he was like a complete 180 from from the first Paul Atreides, and I I was really really invested in very very much of this movie, and I can't wait for the next one to come out. Yeah, uh, we kind of glossed yeah. over. We didn't even mention the worm, which is so iconic, even from the David Lynch version. And when you first see a worm in 2021 Dune, like they just decided, okay, we're going to make this thing, this cyclopean, like giant worm meets a lamprey thing. Meets the Sarlacc pit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. And I don't know. I, I like, I got feelings from this that I hadn't had since like the first time I saw the Star Wars films. Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say as well, is that this this made me feel kind of like I did when I saw Empire for the first time. Like, I, I could see that. The tone, the, the scope, 
the good guys do not win. It just, yeah, everything about it had that very kind of like I like there shouldn't have been a Star Wars in this case. It should have just started with Empire, but like, but I feel like the second film is going to be more of that because there's not going to be any Ewoks. Definitely no Ewoks. And my God, how good was the scene with the with the box of pain? I All think it was make me want to know more about that whole society of, of, of women. It was so good. There was a lot more exposure on like how manipulative they are in the background in the, in the 2021 version. I think that did a really good job to explain why everybody had, like why even the king and the emperors had respect for these women. Well, they're obviously crazy powerful. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, them and the, uh, the navigators. You know, what was interesting with this that, and I didn't realize, even after seeing the other one, is, like I said, I think I've seen it about four times for the original, is watching this, the beats, the the storyline, obviously everything is, is the same, but by taking it, slowing it down, taking your time to tell the story and, and hit all the right beats, I understood the story and I appreciated it a lot more. Even though it was the same film in terms of the base, you know, the base, everything was very, very similar as far as what what notes they hit. It was a totally different story. Like it felt like I like I was I was involved and I invested. This, this, there wasn't any. This felt like a much more serious movie than the, the early one. It felt much more cartoony mm-hmm. to me. Even though the visuals were important in this one, the other, the first one definitely felt more like the visuals were the the focus. This one, it felt like the visuals were important, but the story was just as much of a focus as the visuals were. I well, think. 100, I, I agree with you there because the visuals, like when the House Atreides showed up on Dune, the, I don't say pomp and circumstance, but the tradition of stepping out with the guy with the bagpipes and them, them coming out as a force and seeing that this is the... Uh, this is the new rulers of the of the the planet, and then the one comment that got me was the when the the <laughs> when Paul comments about the um everybody coming out to see them. I forget what the exact quote was, but it was something like you know they they're uh, used to coming out because they've been ordered to by the Harkonnens, and we didn't order them to come out; they just showed up, type of thing, and showing the difference between the Harkonnen and the Atreides houses. And that's that whole opening scene when when all that pomp and circumstance and you know and the emperor's entourage shows up to declare you know the, to make it official and everything. It was just such a great like like I mean it was it was showing not telling. It was just such a great world setting scene. I just enjoyed that opening so much. It just drew, drew me right into the world immediately, and I was I was I was drawn into the movie like within the first fifteen minutes. I, you know, I, just, I mean, I've ne- I never read the books, and this movie made me want to read the books. Now, do they, Josh? Do they have? Um... Oh, they Josh all the time. Yeah, <laughs> they're just joshing all over the place. Oh yeah, oh, they wait. don't have. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I'm trying to remember. They didn't have uh, fade in this one yet. They didn't even, even like tip a hat to him at all, did they? I don't know if he was even cast. No, he wasn't even cast uh, for the 2021. Okay. Batista eight feed. Well, yeah, I mean, that could be a thing. <laughs> I, I love Batista as an, as, as an actor. He's, I think he's got chops. Well, and, so. and the relationship between the two nephews of Vladimir Harkonnen, you've got the beast who is effective, but he, and he's the heir apparent because of age, but there's sort of the subtext that Baron Harkonnen favors fade 
and is gonna just burn Raban out uh, so he can pass power eventually to his more favored choice. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of weirdness in there, and I think they hit this even better in this one than they did in the original, where there's something really messed up with Baron Harkonnen's, like, sense of pleasures. Uh, it was a little bit more twisted and in-your-face in the original, but I don't know, I found myself deeply unsettled. He is unsettling across the board. Every He didn't have a lot of lines, he, but when he did deliver them, when he he is quiet but immensely threatening. His, his character has a lot of gravity. He, well, no, because he's floating around. Yeah, you know, but you know what I mean. Like he's one of those <laughs> no. characters that when he speaks, it just—I mean, it just doesn't take a whole lot of words to convey the emotions he's trying to get across. Well, right. I mean, it's all—it's all, also Skarsgård, so he's got it. Yeah, you know, and he's he, like intensified, like. Uh, hedonism like he's got all these forbidden pleasures that this is like all he can get joy out of anymore whether I mean, how old is he supposed to be in the books that's a good question that is hmm. a good question I, I don't know that they really go into because it just could just be one of those things where he's just so old that you know he doesn't you know he's, he's run through all the pleasures of life and he can only draw pleasure from the sadistic things now uh, that could be. He's he's in his uh, late seventies, early eighties. That's it. Wow. Yeah. Well, remember he was also on Arrakis, so he's got some of the spice in him. So he's going to live a hell of a lot longer than that. That's too. why I thought he would might be very very old because he'd been on spice for so long. I thought that Baron Harkonnen himself is poisoned with a gom jabar by Paul's young sister Alia Atreides, his own granddaughter, and dies at the age of eighty three. That's what it says here. I was thinking he was much older. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. When you started the way you were talking about it, it made sense to me. Yeah. Uh, but according to this, anyway, I don't know if that's so. Scratch that. I guess he's just a son of a bitch. <laughs> I mean, eighty-three is only. Oh my god, he's so young by fantasy standards. It's still yeah. pretty fucking old. <laughs> True. <laughs> but you know, I mean, my grandfather was eighty-nine when he died, and he wasn't. You know, he wasn't anything near that Baron Harkonnen's level of depravity. Has I'm not saying he wasn't depraved. Was sitting in a big, big mud puddle. I mean, that's the character, you know. But <laughs> I just, I just verified on the Dune wiki uh, that yeah, they have his birth and death dates listed, and he was according to that, he was 83. So hmm. just right. a sidebar. All right then. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't want to devolve into the remember that scene. It was awesome. Uh, just like if you get an opportunity and you're listening to this, if you, ha- if you haven't watched it, just go out and watch it. Yeah, no, I definitely want to see it in the theater. If you had the opportunity, I was, so I was just going to say I would I would recommend the theater over that. I didn't get that opportunity, but it's yeah, a beautiful I, movie. I can imagine yeah, the set pieces are amazing, gorgeous, <laughs> like just sweeping images. Of, and they make this desert planet, which, you know, was very sandy in the 84 version, look threatening. They do a good change of scenery in this one. But I was asking you, Josh, you're the one who's I tried to read the books, but wasn't able to get to finish them. How, how um, between 84 and now, how uh, close to the story is a new one? Very, very close. Uh, I, I actually read this uh, book in one sitting. Uh, guy was caught Ooh. in a. Uh, it was one of those uh, you're caught in a waiting room for like ten hours at a hospital kind of thing. Good time to have a five hundred page book with you. Yeah. Oh, and it's actually it's a shorter book. Like I know you've got access to the uh, 
uh, digital copy, but like you pick up the book, it's smaller than your average Stephen King novel. And okay. uh, it's not a quick read, but like it's it's not like by the standards of your Robert Jordan, Brandon <laughs> Sanderson, even the longer Stephen Kings. Uh, I, I was able to knock this out in about, like I said, seven to eight hours. Got it. Dune Chronicles, book one, uh, 704 pages. Well, Jesus, because my paperback is is not like one of those fat paperbacks. Now, is it, but Dune Chronicles, is that a different, that's not just Dune. Because well, there's a bunch of different. No, like, it's Dune, but it's it's sub subtitled Dune Chronicles book one. But it's just called Dune. It's the one that says now a major motion picture. Oh, okay. What I'm looking yeah, at the cover. The, let's see. This one says it's 412 pages. So it's a little longer than I thought. I would have guessed it was about 350 pages. Okay. So maybe that, maybe, yeah, maybe it's like they shoved two parts into one book or something. I mean, there's 21 well, novels in, in all of the Dune Chronicles. Yeah, that's, that's nuts. A- Including like all the way the children of Dune, the god of gods of Dune, and then there's a bunch of side stories also. Dune, Dune, Dune. The Dune Run, Run. <laughs> American Dune, Band Camp, Dune Buggy, the Hill Hill House Haunted Hill Dune. <laughs> I think we're losing the momentum here on this one. Dune go in the basement. We've yeah. lost it. We did. Yeah, Sorry. Right. Yeah. Yay! Oh wait, Tic Tac. Everybody. God. So oh, thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So um, yeah, Josh, you start. You're the most Dune-ish worded one of us. Yeah, I kind of, from my weirding way, I, I'm gonna go even even though the second half of the story was crammed into about ten minutes of montage. I, I, I barely have a thumbs up for the original Dune and a incredibly enthusiastic spellbound thumbs up for the remake. I'm so waiting for the second part. Joel, how about you? Uh, well, being a Lynch fan, uh, my nostalgia for the original film and general appreciation for aspects of it, I would still give it a thumbs up. Uh, and for the new one, absolutely 100% thumbs up. Actually, I'm looking forward to watching it again. And at two and a half hours, that's saying something. And I'm looking forward to the, the next film. Pat? Oh, risking the ire of Josh, I'm going to use the rarely seen thumbs sideways for the first movie. <gasps> Simply because I just I, I can't give it a thumbs up and I can't give it a thumbs down. I really I mean it, it wasn't good. I don't really want to see it again, but it wasn't like anywhere near some of the things I've given thumbs down to for. So I mean it was I, I'm not mad that I watched it, and that's usually one of my meters for whether i give a thumbs down <laughs> so you know i just i just nothing it it just kind of was there i was like there's so many better sci-fi franchises i'm gonna watch including the new dune which i definitely give a big <clears throat> thumbs up to it was amazing i loved it i might go see it again in the theater so I, I probably won't but i might i mean nice yeah yeah i'm definitely i'm i'm i gotta say a thumbs up further than but I'm giving it a thumbs up and think kind of in the same vein as what uh, Patrick's saying. Yeah, I'm giving it a thumbs up, but I've watched a lot worse for this show. I mean, we're we're not talking about Star Crash here. Ugh. Oh, come <clears throat> on. You love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Um, the new one, loved it. Uh, you know, Pat does. <laughs> the 21 version, I'm looking forward to the second second one, and I'm hoping this turns into like a 
you know, they finish off the first book and almost like a Harry Potter type of thing where they finish off the first book with one director and they hand it off to a new director and does something in a little bit different way. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, that would, I think would be great because I think, like I said, they got 22 books to go through. Something else I added, I, I actually have a 1984 Dune like theater card that my brother got me for Christmas a couple of years ago. Like one of the really nice posters that's in plastic in the hard. Yeah. yeah. He bought me one for that and got me one for Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which I had, I asked him about the Dune thing and he was like, Oh yeah. I remember you talking about Dune, you know, and that, you know, uh, the other day when we were, you know, you know, having a beer or something, I'm like, yeah, I did. And I said, Dune, I watched it the other day. It's weird as shit. And that's all I said. So apparently that stuck with him, and I got that for a Christmas present. So I may just mail it to you, Joel. There you <gasps> go. So uh, like, because I don't want someone to see this and be like, oh, he's into Dune. I need to get him the Baron Harkonnen and plushie. <laughs> I don't, I don't want that. With like little with nipples you can rip off at the end? <laughs> no, it's, like, it's like one of those, one of the, his face is like a stress ball when you squeeze it and all the stuff pops out. Okay. Oh. <laughs> nice. Oh. Right. So if there's something uh, we didn't say that we should have, or something we just said that we shouldn't have, let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep, and if you're looking for our older stuff, you can find us. What do you Get it out, Pat. Get it out. Buy it now, the Baron Harkunen egg separator. <laughs> Like, like the crack the egg the into the back of his face, even into the back of his head. The yolk just comes out of all these little pustules in his face. <laughs> I want the home herpes kit, too. Oh, God. So if you're looking for more of this, yeah. <laughs> you can find us on uh, Podbean or Pandora. You can give us thumbs up and good ratings there if you like it. You'd love to hear more about uh, why you love the show. You can email us, leave us a review on Apple, Google, Amazon, or on uh, Podchaser. You can also support the show through the Kofi link that's in the show notes. Thank you very much, and uh, we appreciate you listening. And we'll be back next week. Yeah, we got some other things coming up. Yeah, did we discuss what's coming up? Oh, no, we, we didn't. didn't. Hey, Joel, what else is coming up? Uh, we're gonna go hang out with Spike on the Bebop. Talk about the uh, Cowboy Bebop. Uh, we're gonna do a musical. We haven't done that in a while with West Side Story. <clears throat> show four hundred is coming, so get ready. And uh, we're gonna be. Uh, Jacking into the Matrix. Yeah, buddy. And, and the Top 10 show is coming up soon. The Top 10 show. Yes. That as soon as All I Want for Christmas is You falls off, oh. we take it. We can't have Christmas music on the Top 10. Because it sucks. See? All I Want for Christmas is for Josh to love that song. <laughs> You're going to be disappointed. Disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> I, think he, I think he is. I think he's if you're pretty not good. already, get used yeah. to disappointment. <laughs> Say, believe me, I am used to it. Well, I'm glad we didn't say, oh, by the way, this is, uh, we're the four members of the 40 Going on 14 podcast because we may have lost some potential listeners. They're like, is this what their show's like? I'm not listening. <laughs> it's an hour and a half of us calling Joel a slut. <laughs> <laughs> well. Is that horribly far off? <laughs> <laughs>